Well, clap your hands unto the Lord all over this building. The psalmist said, shout with a voice of triumph. Why don't we do that in this house? Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. We exalt your name. We give you praise and glory that you so richly deserve in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord on the last service of 2018. And man, have we faced some mountains and some valleys in 2018, but through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I have learned to trust in God. I am so uh, happy to be here. Somehow there was a a post-Christmas miracle and I was able to find a suit at the very bottom of my bag somewhere and uh, I can't tell you how many times I've worn this before so if if you want to compound it uh, anointing from all of the times I've worn I don't know why it was in there but I but I don't know where it was from so uh, there is there's a glory cloud that's going to fill this place right now. <laughs> Amen. But I am so thankful to be here. I'm thankful for the Urshan family. And uh, we have uh, developed a, a great bond. And uh, our family is very appreciative of that friendship. It has helped us so very much. And we thank you all for your love, your kindness, and uh, your ministry to us all. Every time we come here, we feel like we are blessed a whole lot more than we are a blessing. And we thank you for that. Amen. I want to turn your attention to the book of Acts chapter 6. The book of Acts chapter 6. And I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 7. The book of Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through verse 7. Seven, And the Bible reads as so in the name of Jesus Christ. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Uh, Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Tonight, I just simply want to speak to you on this subject, the same ministry, the same ministry, the same ministry. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, O God, that you would help us to understand what thus saith the word of the Lord, that it will become a lamp to our feet and would guide us, O Lord. I pray that you would put it in us 
to serve more in 2019, to be useful to the kingdom in whatever method, in whatever way that you would like for us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you all. You may be seated all over this building. My dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted. In the responsibility bestowed on me, never will I falter. And with dignity and perseverance, my standard will remain perfection. Through the years of diligence and praise and the discomfort of the elements, I will walk my tour in humble reverence to the best of my ability. It is he who commands the respect I protect. His bravery that made us so proud, surrounded by well-meaning crowds, by day alone in the thoughtful peace of night. This soldier will in honored glory rest under my eternal vigilance. This is the creed that the sentinels of the 3rd United States Infantry Regiment must learn and abide by once they have been selected to guard what is now called the tomb of the unknown soldier. The tomb of the unknown soldier. It is found in the Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. The commitment that these guards make for this special honor is pretty mind-blowing. They must commit two years of their lives to guard this tomb. They live in barracks under the tomb and they cannot drink any alcohol on or off duty for the rest of their lives. They cannot swear in public for the rest of their lives. They cannot disgrace the uniform or the tomb in any way. The first six months of duty... Uh, is spent uh, studying the 175 notable people that are laid in the cemetery. The guard must memorize who they are and where each corpse is buried. And every guard spends five hours a day getting his uniforms ready for a 30-minute shift. Five hours a day he must spend to get his uniform ready. When it's their turn to guard the tomb, they initiate their turn with an elaborate ceremony called the changing of the guard. During the ceremony, all observers are asked to rise and remove their hats. And in perfect marching procession, 21 steps are taken in front of the tomb, alluding to the 21-gun salute, which is the highest honor given to any member of the military. Their gun is to be carried on the outside shoulder each time that they pass the tomb. And every 30 minutes, a guard is changed 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And for a person to apply for guard duty at the tomb, he must be between 5'10 and 6'2. And his waist size cannot exceed 30 inches. Basically, he's still in junior high school. (laughs) The, The question is, what are they guarding? And why do they guard it the way that they do? 
See, they, they are guarding what is called the tomb of the unknown soldier, which is a monument that is erected in dedication to the services of unknown soldiers who have died in war with their remains being unidentified. These were unknown soldiers, but America takes painstaking measures to honor their sacrifices because they realize that though their names are not identifiable, their sacrifices are undeniable. America knows that its amazing liberty is protected daily by soldiers whose names will often not be mentioned on social media, whose faces will not be recognized out in public, whose names will not be on certificates or on award ceremonies. However, they take painstaking measures to make sure that they honor their and reverence their, uh, their memory. Ladies and gentlemen, in life as well as in the kingdom, much of the recognition is given to a select few people who hold the trophies and get the interviews, wear the medals and dress in the fancy clothes. Their names are exhibited in flyers and certificates and programs. Their pictures are on the web websites and they hold corner offices in their building. They have the bigger paychecks. They are the most recognizable members of their company, of their church, of their school, of their business and their country. But what many fail to realize is that behind every recognizable figure, there is a team of unknown laborers that are that is working tirelessly that is making the wheel turn. These are the unknown men and women who spend countless days and countless nights studying cases, preparing data, feeding employees, guarding entrances and cleaning offices, doing the researches and doing the work that not very many people want to do. And I've come to the realization here today that for any church to experience victory and to experience growth and to experience progress and maturity, it needs some good men and some good women besides the pastor and executive ministry to keep it going. Because not everybody gets to preach, but not everybody was called to preach. Not everybody gets to play an instrument or lead worship, but not everybody was called to lead worship or play an instrument. Not everybody gets to lead a department. But tonight I want to prove to you that serving in the nursery or the media department or the usher team or the maintenance board or the cleanup crew or the office management or money management, construction and administration and graphic design and even food preparation and hospitality are just as important to the growth of the gospel as the preaching of the word. Yes, we need apostles. Yes, we need prophets and evangelists. Yes, we need pastors and we need teachers. But we also need some people to take care of some children. We also need some people to get people to their seats. We also need some parking lot attendants who are there in the midst of the snow and the rain. The jobs that nobody wants to accomplish. The kingdom is also expectant of those ministries. 
One of the major themes that I see in the book of Acts is the highlighting of the exponential growth of the church in the New Testament. And you can see the author, Luke, he mentions the growth of the church over and over again. He specifically gives us numbers at times so we can read how rapidly the church grew and the gospel spread. In Acts chapter 241, he says, so those who received the word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 247, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In Acts 4 and 4, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Acts 5.14, more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Acts 13.49, and the word of the Lord spread throughout all the region. Acts 16 and 5, so the churches were strengthened in faith, faith and they increased in numbers daily. It's undeniable, and I, and I can go on, it's undeniable that the first century church had exponential growth from its inception. And Luke was very precise in his writings. He wanted us to know, he wanted his readers to know the church was experiencing growth. But can I tell you that with great growth came great problems. And we have a tendency sometimes to romanticize the first century church as though it was a completely perfect church. I've heard many say at times, oh, that we would be a first century church. And I say it all the time. And yes, there are supernatural occurrences, occurrences and exponential growth that were unbelievable. But we forget sometimes that the first century church was also a very imperfect church with serious issues. I suspect that the reason that they had issues in the first century church is because they were made up of something, and I don't know if you know this concept, but they were made up of something called humans. Humans. That's the reason they had issues in their church. We forget sometimes how Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, or how the power-hungry Simon the magician tried to buy the Holy Ghost, or how John Mark abandoned the mission trip, causing a great rift between the Apostle Paul and missionary Barnabas, and how about professing Christians in Ephesus who were concealing black magic, or Apollos who was not preaching the gospel accurately, and so had to be taught the way of God more accurately by Priscilla and Aquila. See, growth brought about growing pains because there are challenges that arise in the face of growth. And I've heard many churches pray for growth and for God to give the increase. I've, I've got to be honest with you though. Not every church is spiritually mature enough to handle increase. Not every church is organized enough to be ready for growth because growth is gain and pain. Growth is pleasure and pressure. Growth is victory and misery. Be careful what you pray for. Growth will have you up at night wondering what is next here. Growth divides pastoral families, executive ministries, and puts tensions in teams. And the more that people are added, the more counseling is needed. The more issues with disloyalty are seen. 
seen, the more opposition is felt, the more criticism to bear. Of course, we need to pray that the Lord would send laborers to his vineyard. And we need to desire the growth of the kingdom for the salvation of the whole city of Cincinnati. But we also need to be aware that for every new level, there are new devils that manifest themselves. And so we need to be diligent in evangelism but we also need to be patient with the will of God we need to let God grow his church at his pace only God knows when his church is fully ready to experience the kind of exponential growth that he wants to give us amen I've read somewhere that for a church to have, uh, to have uh, 400, uh, comfortably 400 members, it needs at least 100 volunteers. For every 400 members, a church needs 100 lay people to volunteer their effort and their sacrifice to the ministry of the Lord. I'm telling you, not every church is ready. We oftentimes pray for growth. Oh God, where's the growth? It, the growth is going to come when you are ready to sacrifice your life and your resources and your time and your valuable possessions for the work of God and volunteer everything you have. God can only trust a church that is ready to experience exponential growth. He cannot trust every single church. And so Luke wasn't just interested in showing us in the book of Acts how the church grew and how the church faced challenges through that growth Luke also was interested in showing us how the church with the help of the Holy Spirit fixed those problems in this particular text that we're reading here today there, there, the, these three elements are involved there is church growth there is church conflict and then there is church problem solving and here you see the first thing you notice is church growth in chapter 6 and verse 1 he starts out with saying now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying. You see, he wants you to know the number of disciples. This church is growing. There are some things that are happening in the spirit. And then in verse 7, it recaps this portion by telling you that the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So that's the first thing that Luke wants you to notice. There is growth. But there's a second thing he wants you to see. And that is that with church growth comes church conflict. And let's dwell on this for a second. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Can I tell you, church, church drama, there is no drama like church drama. There is absolutely no drama like church drama. Sometimes, listen, I, I grew up a PK, and sometimes you just want to pull out the popcorn and just grab a seat and go, my God, this is better than a novella. Amen. This, this is better than TNT. We know drama. That's what's going on. See, the Hellenists were a Greek-speaking Jew, and more than likely he, they had been dispersed to the different nations, and their language and their culture were 
words similar to the Greeks because they didn't grow up in you know ancient Palestine as the Jews Jews did and now the Hebrews that are called by this name here were Jews who have always lived in Israel who more than likely spoke Aramaic which was a combination of Hebrew and Greek and so they had a cultural problem in the church and they also had a language problem in the church more than likely the first century church was by and trilingual they had to you know they were not just multicultural but they were bilingual and trilingual and now the problem that they were having is that the widows that were being fed by you know the church itself the widows the church had a common fund for the marginalized of society widows and their children were more than likely the primary objects of relief due to the fact that it was primarily men who made a living for their families and it was a men who who were the rightful heirs to their family's inheritance so if a man was no longer a part of the family the widows could not inherit anything for themselves and so they were just kind of left out to die in society so the church took it upon themselves to help these widows and to help the orphans once the male was gone widows were practically left to die and so the tension was that there seemed to be cultural tension between these two groups the Hellenists were complaining because our widows are not being taken care of like the Hebrew widows are being taken care for now th th there's a problem here that arises the apostles looked at the complaint that came up and the apostles said you know what brethren I think that we need to dedicate our attention to prayer and the reading of God's word and the preaching of God's word and we probably need to let them take care of their own issues I'm telling you that there is a concept that I get from this scripture and it is this if you're going to complain about something in the church it's okay to complain but if you're going to complain then you also have to be willing to be a part of the solution you can't open up your mouth and then just leave it at the pastor's office if you're going to talk about something that's going on in the church then you also have got to come up with you know what and I'm willing to help in any way that I can in order to solve this issue how can I pray for this how can I give money to this how can I invest my time to get this solved the apostle said if y'all are going to complain then we're going to have to pick men among you that you fix your own issue because we weren't called to do this thing we were called to the preaching of the word that's what they said in verse 4 they said we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word and can I tell you that is the job description of your pastor the job description of your the primary job of your pastor is not to counsel although pastors do counsel but that's not his primary job description that is not why we pay our pastors we don't pay our pastors for them to be out here vacuum cleaning and painting and cooking and driving vans and leading the choirs and handling the money that's not what we pay our pastors for the primary job of your men of 
of God is that he gets on his knees in prayer and gets a word to feed the sheep. That's the primary responsibility of your pastor. I will prove that to you through scripture. You see, uh, the, the, the primary ministry is not taken care for by the executive ministry and those who have been called to full-time ministry. Those who have been called to full-time ministry have been called to preach the word and to equip the saints. But the ministry itself is done by the saints themselves. And I tell you, in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it says he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Watch this. Verse 12 says, for the equipping of the saints, for what purpose? For the work of the ministry. The reason that your pastor exists, that evangelists exist, is so that they can equip the church so that the church will do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. They said we will persist in this thing because there is no substitute. There is no substitute for the preaching of the word. There is no substitute for it. The preaching of the word deserves that we have due, that we do our due diligence in researching, in studying, in looking up. And, and I tell you, many people will say, well, I don't want to pay that man. All he does, 45 minutes gets up there and he makes more than I do. Let me tell you something. If you think this job is easy and it's just 45 minutes, why don't you prepare a sermon someday and try to preach it on your own? This is not easy. You've got to get down on your knees and say, oh God, the balance of someone's life is upon my shoulders here today. What can I feed them? This is your sheepfold. How can I sustain them? Give me a word that I may be able to sustain somebody. This is not easy, brothers and sisters. It takes a whole lot of praying, a whole lot of studying, a whole lot of research, a whole lot of deleting from your notes and then coming back and saying, God, give me a word that I may speak into somebody's life. See, if you look down, and I can show you over and over again, See, in 1 Timothy 5, there were several type of elders in the church. There were those who were there for specific ministries. But the elders, which was also, you know, what we call today pastors, uh, mo most of the elders were not about specific type of ministries. There was two kind of elders. 1 Timothy 5, 17 spells this out for us. It says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now honor in this scripture, yes it is talking about respect but also there is a play on words here it is also talking, this is where we get the word honorarium which is talking about how to compensate those who have treated us and he says teach them with double honor, double honor that is make sure that they are taken care of financially this is what it's talking about 
and then watch this it says especially those who labor in the word and doctrine he said that is their labor that is their vocation that's what they have been called to do that is what you pay them for for what so that they teach you the word of God and so listen the word is powerful brothers and sisters it is through the word that you are sanctified sanctify them by the truth thy word is truth you need a man of God who knows how to feed the sheep you need a man of God who won't lead you astray through the word you need a man of God who is faithful to sound doctrine and who knows how to expound the word of God the writer of Hebrews says remember those who rule over you why would you remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you that's why you remember because they spoke the word of God to you whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct before he even got to their behavior he said this is important this is important the man of God and those who have rule over you their first and primary responsibility is to speak the word of God to you in 2nd Timothy 215 Timothy was a pastor of pastors in the city of Ephesus and he told them study Paul told him study to show thyself approved unto whom unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed now the imagery here is powerful he's saying just like you go back to your director or uh, you know some sort of authority and you come back in the military to, to give a report on all of the work that you have done that's how the pastor go back to God they need to study to show themselves approved unto God because the Lord is going to demand from them how did you feed my sheep how did you lead my sheep a workman that needeth not be ashamed I don't want to be ashamed on that day by telling him I spent all of my time driving vans making food vacuuming and making sure our website was clean the Lord said I didn't call you to build websites I called you to feed my sheep feed my sheep a workman that needeth not be ashamed and how do you present yourself unto God and are not ashamed how do you do that he says rightly dividing the word of truth rightly dividing the word of truth see there's another aspect of this when they finally said you know what we're going to elect you we're going to allow you to elect seven men among yourselves to deal with this little issue that's going on he said pick among yourselves seven men that are going to deal with this because this is not our job description we're over here serving tables when our real primary responsibility is to preach the word of God and to study and to give ourselves to the preaching and the reading and the prayer and so they said pick among yourself they said there's only three qualifications that we're going to give you brethren seek out from among you seven men of number one good reputation number two full of the holy spirit and wisdom whom we may 
appoint over this business. He said, I need them to have a good testimony. I need them to have wisdom and I need them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I just make a little pause here and just say, listen, I I can go into the other two, but I don't have time. But can I just say, it is important that if you are going to establish yourself in ministry somewhere in the house of the Lord, I don't care what it is. It is of utmost importance that you seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I'm not the church's pastor so I don't know you follow whatever your pastor says but can I tell you whenever I decide to pastor a church my God and Lord help me I need every single person that ever volunteers for any kind of ministry I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit I'm going to tell you why because statistics tell me that way before a first-time guest hears the word of the Lord, way before they ever shake the hand of the pastor and know who the pastor family is, way before they even know if he has any charisma or if the church has love, within the first seven minutes of their attending a church service, they're going to decide whether they're ever going to come back or not. Within the first seven minutes, Well, if that's the case, then I want the first people that make contact with those people to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't have time for people to mess around with my guests. I want you to know and discern this person has a need. Let me pray for you. We don't need to call the pastor. I'll lay hands on you even in the lobby. Let me shake your hand. Let you feel what's going on. I need musicians who are anointed by the power of the Holy Ghost. I don't need you to come in here after an all-night fortnight meeting. I need you to come in to the pulpit and into this platform delivered and anointed under the Holy Ghost. Needed. Filled with the Spirit. This is not not just any job. My brothers and sisters, when you do your ministry, make sure that you do your due diligence in everything you do. I don't care if it's just Sunday school to two-year-olds. Make sure you prepare yourself for what you're going to do. Make sure you have a time of prayer before you get to where you're going to get. Make sure you are anointed before you get to that nursery. You say, Lord, before I change this diaper, fill me with the Holy Ghost that I may do under the wisdom and under the guidance of the spirit that I may have that I may have favor with the parents that somehow somebody will say I'm coming back because there was a care that was done here to my child filled with the spirit so many people take their ministry so lightly can I tell you all these men had to do was give a little gumbo to the widows. All these men was do- were doing was passing out the skyline chili to these widows. Poor widows. Y'all, I love you. We ain't doing skyline anymore. 
I, I love y'all. That's all they were doing. But you know what? The apostles didn't take that lightly. They brought these men up. They laid hands on these men. They said, I know all you're going to do is give a little gumbo to widows, but we're going to lay hands on you. We're going to anoint you. We're going to separate you unto ministry. I don't care if you're just a little usher. You're not just a little usher. You are. You are a host of the heavenly host. God has anointed you for a specific purpose. We underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. We underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. I was reminded as I was, as I was uh, texting this out, or as I was uh, uh, building this, uh, this sermon out, I was reminded here of uh, 2012. 2012, Lord have mercy, was the worst year of my life. I thought my life was done. I'll never forget that day, May the 6th, when my beautiful wife said she no longer wanted to be in this marriage and she had chosen to go in a different direction direction with someone else I was shattered I begged I had no idea what to do I had two sons now and all of a sudden I was going to be a full-time uh, uh, single parent I was not they didn't teach me this in Bible school how to be a full-time single parent and stay in ministry and stay involved and stay they didn't teach me any of that and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing can I tell you at first I thought you know I've got it under control. I didn't tell any, I didn't tell my family members. I didn't tell my friends. I didn't tell the church. I didn't tell anybody for months because I kept praying and I kept believing she's coming back. Somehow she's coming back and I, you know, I don't, I don't want to embarrass her. And so I'm not going to say anything. And I kept praying, but as I was praying, she, you know, there, there was no coming back. I was there in those first two months. I'm going to tell you, I was a horrible parent. I don't know how these little rugrats survived. I don't know how they survived. I had no idea what I was doing in the kitchen. Every single night we ate pizza and that was our it was five dollars from Domino's and we would go out and get what are we eating tonight we're eating pizza what are we eating tonight we're eating pepperoni pizza what are we eating tonight we're eating chicken barbecue pizza and that's you know that's every single night that's what was going on I'll never forget the night that Caleb came into my room he was just about nine years old and I had absolutely it was about the first day that we were together and I, you know, I was just there and I was depressed out of my mind. My lights were off. They never turned on. I didn't want to come out of my room. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was holding on to so much. And, and, and I remembered I, I was crying before the Lord and Caleb came in, nine-year-old, and he was so respectful. He knew what was going on and he was so respectful. He didn't want to stress me out more. So he came over and he said, Dad, Dad. And I remember I, I looked over and I said, hey, hey, son, hey, son, what, what, what's going on? And he said, Dad, uh, uh, I'm hungry. And I looked over at him like, you eat? Well, what, is, what, 
does that have to do with me? Go get yourself some cereal or make yourself so I don't know what I'm supposed to do out here. It was a mess. I hated having to wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning to take them to school, to bring them back, to look after their medical reports and, and do they have these shots and what do I have to do and, and filling out paperwork for, you know, all sorts of stuff, medical stuff and school stuff and, and going into parent-teacher meetings. I have no idea what I was doing and I was depressed out of my mind if I can be honest. There was a certain morning I was sitting there and I was reading my Bible and as I read my Bible, have you ever read something that that maybe was not obvious to somebody else but that ministered to you so powerfully? I, I was reading my Bible and the, the, the verses that I read was in Exodus 31 verse 1 through 5 and so I opened up my Bible and this is what it says. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, see I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled them with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. I read that and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I remember, and I'm, I'm getting a little emotional because it brings always brings me back to that time. I remember I was so, I had no idea what I was going to do. But I remember when I read this word, something got a hold of me. And I closed up my Bible and I began to pray. I opened up my Bible again and this is the note. I wrote it down on my notes so you can read it here with me. This is the note that I have from 2012. This is the note that I wrote in my Bible. I said, the Holy Spirit empowers us to accomplish even the most mundane of activities. Because the Spirit came upon Bezaliel to give him wisdom, understanding, and creativity to work in gold and to learn to cut jewels and to carve wood and to work in all sorts of manner of workmanship. I said, Lord, on this day, fill me with your Spirit in this season of my life that I may learn to cook, to clean, to wash, to organize, to discipline, and to show paternal affection to my sons. I've got to be honest with you. I don't know what took a hold of me, but something got a hold of me in that room. The Spirit of the Lord came down in that room. It wasn't to preach. It wasn't to evangelize. But the Lord put a new heart in me to learn how to cook and to learn how to clean. I began waking up and putting on music. My children would look at me like, Dad, what's going on? i tell you what's going on. The Holy Spirit filled me and anointed me for this season of my life. I'm going to tell you right now, don't you ever look at us with pity. Don't you ever look at us saying, poor little single parent out there with those two little boys. The devil is a liar. God has anointed me for this season. God has anointed me for a purpose. God has anointed my children. The Holy Spirit has come upon us. You better get a hold of the Holy Spirit in your life. You better get a hold of the Holy Spirit even for the smallest of all tasks. I'm almost done.
Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, when I read that, I was reading through this text. When I read that, you know, I try to go back into the Greek lexicon to know what words match with what and what are their meanings and stuff of that nature. So I went back and I realized that in verse 1 it says the Hebrews uh, had a complaint by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. When I read that word distribution, the word distribution here in this verse is that Greek word diakonia. Diakonia, which is basically where we get the word deacon from, which means to serve or minister, a minister or ministry. And then I began to read in verse 4, and the apostles said, the apostles said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. As I was reading that verse in the Greek lexicon, I noticed that in verse 4, it says, we will continually give ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word ministry. So I looked over, and the word that I found for ministry in the Greek in that verse was diakonia. Diakonia. So I found it so interesting. I went back, and I said, how come it's the same word? In verse 1, the distribution to the widows and those who were neglected was called diakonia. And in verse 4, the ministry of the word and the preaching was also called diakonia. And the Lord spoke to me and said, see to God, the distribution to widows and the preaching behind a pulpit. It's the same ministry. It's the same ministry. I was at a, an airport in uh, Burbank, California. I got out of the uh, gate there, and <coughs> as I was heading over to, uh, uh, they were picking me up to take me to the revival there uh, that they were having. It was a Friday and as I'm going over towards uh, the exit, I feel a hand over on my shoulder. And the man said, hey, hey, brother, is your name Loami Diaz? And I looked at him and I said, well, it depends on who's asking. If it's the IRS, then no. I'm kidding. So I said, yeah, yes, sir. I said, yes, sir. His eyes got watery, and he said, oh, I had been asking the Lord to, to, to help me to meet you someday. He said, you don't know it, but I was saved under your ministry. And, and I said, you were saved under I said, where? He said, no, 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 it's a long story. He said, I've never met you. I've never seen you in person, but I was saved under your ministry. 
And I said, whoa, that, that, that's powerful, you know, and I had to leave. But then right about the time that I had to leave, I said, well, brother, I'm, I'm thankful for you. He pulled out a $100 bill and gave it to me. He said, do you have a couple minutes that I can talk to you? And I said, man, with that $100 bill, I got, <laughs> they can wait. I got little time. <laughs> So he began to tell me his story. He said, this is my story. He said, I was a regional drug dealer or drug distributor for the region of L.A. in my certain family or, you know, it was a Mexican uh, mafia of some sort. And he said, and I was the regional distributor for this whole area. And he gave me several area codes that he was involved in. He said, let me explain to you what kind of business I had and what kind of money we made. I owned three large houses in the area. He said, we had all sorts of luxury cars, three houses paid for, cash, luxury cars everywhere. He said, we had so much money that on my child's first birthday, we paid over $100,000 just to have a little birthday in our backyard. He said, money was absolutely nothing to us. It was paper. And that's how we, you know, we did it. We had sheds where we stored our money. He said, that's how much money that we made. He said, our, our lives were great. I had my wife and my three children. They were small at the time. Uh, and uh, my, my, our lives were great. He said, but, um, you know, what happened was that at, the more I did it, at first it was great because I didn't use the drugs. But he said, the more that I did it, the more I began to party, the more I loved the lifestyle, the more I began to actually use the drugs. And now I was beginning to have marital problems at home. My wife would always complain. My wife was always nagging. My wife was always uh, on me. And so we had issues. One night I got home and she kicked me out of the house. We fought like cats cats and dogs. She kicked me out of the house and it dawned on me. Why am I in this house? I've got all the money in the world. I've got two other homes. Why am I still even married? Why am I doing the family thing? I can buy this woman. Or I, can, I, I can buy to have her leave my, uh, you know, my presence. And so he said, I am never coming back. He said, you keep this house. You keep these cars. He said, don't ever call me. I'm leaving. And he left that night. He said he needed to you know, get his, his mind right. He was all drugged up. And so he got in his car and he started the trek from LA over to San Francisco the Bay Area it's about six seven hours as he's driving down he starts getting a little sleepy sleepy and he remembers that he has a cousin midway through that maybe in Bakersfield or Fresno somewhere in that area he remembered that he had a cousin midway through and so he calls his cousin and he says cousin I need a place to sleep tonight I, I I'm, I'm headed to San Francisco and I've got some issues and I, I just need a place that I need to go, you know, lay my head at and rest. Is it all right if I crash with you? And his cousin said, yes, yes, please come on down. So he came. He said it was already late at night. And so when he got there, his cousin, uh, you know, welcomed him and said, listen, the only thing that I will tell you is I've got a couple of rules. You cannot make any noise in this house. You cannot bring any of your drugs, any of your alcohol, any of that stuff. He said, this is a Christian home. And my 
telling my, my girls, wake up early in the morning to go to school the next day, and I cannot have you waking them up for any matter. So please, no partying, no loud music, none of that, no noise in this house, and no drugs, no alcohol, none of that stuff. And if you can abide by those rules, you can stay here. And he said, oh, that should be fine. He said he went to his room, but he's used to the guest room, but he's used to falling asleep to the TV, and there was no TV in his room, so he came back out to the living room. When he got to the living room, he started looking through folders filled with DVDs to see if he can put on a movie and watch something. But the more he placed the DVDs in the DVD player, he said, man, it was just all sorts of cartoons and like Frozen and stuff of that nature. He said, I, I said, man, these Christian people don't have fun. And so he's, he's, he's looking through that whole list of, of stuff and it was all cartoons and stuff and he was bored out of his mind. He said, you know what? A thought came to me. You know what? I'm okay. I can get up and I can drive the whole way to San Francisco now. I, I, don't, I don't have to go to sleep. And he said while he was doing this, there was a DVD that was not labeled and it was over on the coffee table. And he said, you know, that's it. I bet you cousin was watching this stuff. This has got to be it. So he popped in this DVD to watch, uh, you know, whatever movie came up. And he said when it came up, it was a certain service. It was at a camp meeting. And he said it was a camp meeting of apostolics. I didn't know who they were at the time. He said all I know is that that was the most entertaining stuff I have ever seen in all of my life. He said, I have no idea that you guys existed. He said, when I saw those women and the way they were dressed and the way they looked and the way the pastors talked and the kind of songs you sang and the way people were running and jumping and acting the fool, I said, this is better than any movie I have ever watched in all of my life. And he said, he kept cracking up. He just kept laughing. And it was amazing to him. He said, up until they they called the preacher to come up and he said when they called the preacher to come up he said I was just about to turn the TV off he said I, I, I don't mean to be offensive he said but I, I was right about to turn the TV off because I didn't have time to listen to that boring stuff he said but you know what kept me there he said because when you came up you started speaking in Spanish it was a Spanish camp meeting he said I looked over and I said I have never seen a black man speak Spanish in all of my life he went, boy, this thing is strong tonight. He saw that and he said, it's what kept me. He said, your Spanish was so proper. I, I didn't even speak Spanish like that. And it kept me listening. But he said, oh, but when you started speaking that word, I don't know what happened. But it seemed like you were speaking straight to my heart. And the more you spoke, the more I began to cry. And I could not stop my tears from flowing right in the middle of that living room. And he said, I couldn't even keep it anymore he said I began to I began to just cry out and I didn't know who I was crying out to or what I was doing I had never been in church before but I just began to cry out and I kept saying how does he know my life how does he know my life he said in a couple of minutes my cousin came out of the room and when he came out of the room he said cousin I told you you can't make any noise in my home my girls are about to wake up what's going on I told you you can't get drunk 
talking here? He said, no, it's not that. He pointed over at the TV, and when the cousin saw what was going on, he said, oh, cousin, I know exactly what's going on. Would you lift your hands right now? Let me lay hands on you. He said he laid hands on him, and he said, in less than one minute, I began to speak just like they were speaking in the video. I don't know what got a hold of me that day. So he said, so he said, I, I, I was so happy. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't, no one told me what this was, but I was so excited. And he said, he told his cousin, he said, oh, cousin, I've got to go back home. I've got to go back home. And his cousin said, just leave tomorrow. He said, no way. I've got to go back home today. So he got in his car and he drove the two and a half or three hours back to L.A. And he got there in the wee hours of the morning over where his wife was sleeping by this time. He said he got in his house and he woke her up and he said she almost killed him. She said, I told you to get out of this house. And she began to scream again. And she said, I want nothing to do with you. And he said, no, you don't understand. I'm a changed man. Something has happened to me tonight. And she began to cuss him out and said, I don't want to hear about it. You're drunk and you're high. Get out of this house. And he said, I took a risk. I said, I'll get out of this house. I'll get out of this house. But this is the only requirement that I ask of you. If you really want me to get out of this house, he said, this is all I ask. I'm going to leave, but I'm coming back on Sunday morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to pick you up, and I want you to dress my kids up, and we're going to go to my cousin's church, which is about three hours away. We're going to go to my cousin's church on that Sunday, and she agreed to it somehow, and so he left. He said during those days, he never once went out to do the drugs, to touch them, to do the alcohol. He was out and he didn't know what to do. He said there were times when he was tempted, but he stayed in his house. And he said on that Sunday morning, he went by to pick her up. And when he went by, he didn't think she would be there. But at seven o'clock in the morning, when he honked the horn, his kids were ready and his wife was ready and they were ready. He said they got in the car and they didn't say one word to each other for three hours. They didn't say one word to each other and they didn't like each other. They didn't even they didn't even look at each other. He said for three hours they drove and they finally got to service. When they got to service, they didn't know what to do. The cousin went and greeted them. They decided to stay over in the back and they wanted to remain anonymous and he really didn't know. He was out there and he didn't know what was going on. He said the same stuff began to happen. People began to run. People began to cry and stuff and he said, oh man, this good girl's thinking this is crazy. What have I done? But he said he, they stayed. And then the men of God began to preach. And as he began to preach again, he said he began to cry. But he said, you know, I was a mafia man at the time. I didn't want my wife to see me crying. So what I did is I hid my face so she wouldn't see the tears begin to roll. And he said, but then out of the corner of my eye, I looked to see if she was looking at me. But when I looked, she was also crying and he said for the very first time in a very long time I grabbed her hand I took the risk and grabbed her
hand and he said I don't even know what happened next all I remember is that somehow we were transported over to the front and we were out there and people were praying over us he said fast forward this story and now I am the pastor's personal usher I sing in the choir my wife is with the Sunday school my kids are with the youth choir he said our lives have changed God has done a work in our lives I close with this but as I was heard this story as I got in my car you know we I hugged him and I said thank you for sharing that and uh I got in my car and I was heading out. I told the story to my my driver. We had about an hour drive and I told the whole story to my driver. And as I was heading out, you know, there was a a little ounce of pride that gets in you when you think about, man, I'm a bad boy. (laughs) You know, y'all don't know, y'all think I'm playing. But it's, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, I looked in the mirror, and I was like. You a bad man. And people getting the Holy Ghost up with your DVD. Like, that's a, that's. Whoo. The Holy Spirit spoke to me as I was in that car. And he said, Yes. But if it wasn't for that usher who brought the water to lubricate your throat so that the word of God would come out clearly. And if it wasn't for that sound man who made sure you had enough monitors. But if it wasn't for that video that video attender that was there working the camera that day that couldn't even lift her hands during her favorite song because she was out there in diaconia. And if it wasn't for the ladies who were making tamales early on that Saturday to raise the funds so they could have a camp meeting out there when nobody could see them, nobody recognized them, nobody could say, oh, these are the great ministers. They were unknown soldiers. They were unknown to the rest of the world. But if it wasn't for their diaconia, this man would have never heard the gospel. I'm here to tell you it's the same ministry would you lift your hands all over this house right now just lift your hands come on all over this house right now lift your hands father I'm anointing people in this house right now to be graphic designers I know it may not be what most people are after but I'm appointing young men and young women right now to learn the art of making their church look good for the people. I'm anointing people right now, oh God, to learn how to clean toilets and how to clean chairs and how to vacuum the floor. I'm anointing people even now. Would you anoint them with the Holy Spirit? 
that they have a passion for nursery, that they have a passion to do your will, to drive the van, to wake up early for early morning prayer, whatever it is that you're calling them to, whatever the diaconia was, I pray, oh God, that your will be done in this house. Musicians come, musicians come. Do you know what that last verse of that text says? I believe it's verse 7 or verse 8. I believe it's verse 7. It says something to this effect. Then, then, after they had appointed the seven men, it says, then the word of God spread. And the word of God increased. While the apostles were busy doing something they weren't supposed to be doing, the word of God in Jerusalem was stuck. But as soon as they appointed men, spread the gumbo, sir. Diaconia. We don't need you to teach. We don't need you to teach Bible studies. All we need you is to get a little gumbo and pass it around to these widows. That's all. We're going to lay hands on you. A man among them started out doing diaconia, feeding the widows. His name was Stephen. Stephen was one of the greatest evangelists that the New Testament had ever seen. He started his ministry by feeding the widows. And in that next chapter, it's when Stephen was called from Samaria to go over to an Ethiopian eunuch. He started over in the kitchen feeding widows. And God said, oh, Stephen, I need you for a little more than that, buddy. I'm going to call you now to do Listen, young man that is here, listen. Don't you ever underestimate whatever little ministry that God has you under right now. Don't you ever underestimate that. I'll never forget when I was 10 years old and my dad would have me clean the toilets in the church and I would have to come in early and clean the toilets and I did it with so much joy and I never in my life imagined that God would somehow and somehow call me into ministry but that's what I would do and, and that was my ministry and I was the usher I was the main usher in my, and you could not come into my church unless I sat you where I felt led to sit you 10 years old because that was my diaconia. God is calling young men and young women here today. 2018, we didn't do too much. For some, not all. But God is calling you to a higher level of purpose. 2019. God is calling you to go all in, to sign up for service. Sign up for to give of your resources, of your time, of your energy. To do something for the kingdom of God. Sirs, ma'am, the best thing you can do for your children. The best thing you can do for your children is get them involved in something. 
some capacity in the things of God. Get them involved. Get them in a music school. Get them in a, in a Bible school program. Do something. I know it looks like your service and sacrifice is just too much. And I have to take them to church again. And these youth services are driving me. And I'm telling you, in everything you do for Christ, what you do for Christ is not in vain. It's your diaconia. You take them to church, diaconia. You're not a pastor, but you're ministering to somebody. I was telling pastor, I was reading just a, a couple days ago over in a church over in England. The pastor could not make it to service that Sunday morning because there was a big snowstorm. And so that Sunday morning, just a couple of people showed up. And in the crowd, they picked out a young man to step up and to preach the word on that day. Just off the cuff. He didn't know what he was doing. But he got up and preached. And on that day, there was a man that was saved under that ministry. His name was Charles Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He wasn't saved under a great ministry. He wasn't, he didn't come to, you know, to know the word under that great ministry. But it was through somebody who said, I'm going to do my little diaconia here. I'm going to do my part. And the best thing you can do for yourself, for your family, for your children, get involved. Do what you can. Do what you can. Five o'clock in the morning, we went to prayer five o'clock in the morning at a church that I was at with the pastor. And as we were praying there, before we get there at five o'clock in the morning, once I get there, there was already a man out there. He had opened up the door. He had pastor's coffee ready. And I asked the pastor about that when we were done about six. I said, sir, this man, he was out here this early in the morning. He said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, he came over to me when I announced to the church that we were going to open up the church at five in the morning. He said, pastor, can I be your personal usher? This is going to be my personal ministry. And he says he gets here 430 every single day. He turns on the AC, turns on the heater. He turns whatever I need to be turned on. He says he has my coffee out there and he stands and he prays standing up right next to my chair at five o'clock in the morning. He's my personal usher, whatever I need him for. He said, pastor, I don't know how to do anything else in the church. I'm not good at anything, but I just want to be your personal usher. This is my diaconia. And I'm telling you, if you just get a hold of something, You'll just do something. I'm not the best preacher. I may not be able to sing, but can I clean? Can I design? Can, can, can I do something in the house of God? Because it is the same ministry. Same ministry. Reach over and touch somebody right now, wherever they may be. Reach over and touch somebody if it's appropriate. And I just want you to pray right now. Father, in 2019, help us to give everything we have to ministry. Help us to get involved. Help us to get involved. Help us, oh Lord, whatever we can do. Give me an idea. Give me the creativity. Home Bible studies. Cleaning. I, I don't know, but help me get involved. Children's ministry. Sunday school. Does the youth need something for me to do? How about missions? Can, can I give to something specifically? Can I, can I clean? Can I help? Can I be a host? 
can, can I host Bible studies in my home? Can I teach? Can, can I, what can I do? I want to get into the Akodia. I'm tired of just sitting around and I'm tired of just coming to church. I want to do something for the kingdom. Help me, Lord. Teach my hands to war. Oh, God, I want to work for your kingdom in a special way. Come on, young people. This is your year, 2019. Get involved somehow. Get in the fire. Do something great for God. I know, I know, I know. I know you're busy. I know there's so much stuff to do. But get in this thing. Do something for God. This church is going places. No eyes have seen, no ears have heard. Come on, pray with somebody right now. Pray with somebody. You want to pray over your children? You want to dedicate them right now unto ministry right now, even at this age? Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and pray with somebody that needs this right now, even where you're at. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We gotta, we've got to raise up some young men and young women that will do a little diakonia around the church. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor, but I can play some ball. I can get some people together. I can preach the gospel. What can I do? Diakonia. I can serve. I can wash dishes. What can I do? I can mow the lawn. I can blow off snow. What can I do? How can I help? Teach my hands to worship you and to work for you, oh God, to work for you, to work. Come on, lift your voices all over this building. Let's make some commitments. Let's make some vows here today. For fresh honors, we need your presence. Your kingdom come, your will be done here at 